what I come back to all the time is that I want to be part of the change because I can and I will and I want to and that drives me because if I can make a, an impact on one person's life I've made something happen with my life and it drives me every single day. Welcome to the Good Around Us podcast. Here we share stories of people doing good for communities. I'm your host, Stephanie Keeley. Tamina Watson is a Seattle-based immigration attorney, podcaster, and activist. She is the founder of Watson Immigration Law and the Washington Immigrant Defense Network, and she is committed to serving the community. Tamina was born and raised in London before relocating to Seattle. She's a proud wife and mother, and her Bangladeshi heritage has enriched all her work. Here's Tamina's story. Tamina, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very grateful to be here. Yes. Well, you have such a successful legal background with passion and purpose, and I'd love for us to just get started and talking about your story. Where does it start? Oh, goodness. Um, Where does it start? It starts with me not wanting to be an immigration attorney. (laughs) Um, I moved to America because I got married to my American husband. But I was already a lawyer in the UK. And in the UK, there are barristers and solicitors. Um, And I was a barrister. And I moved here and the word meant nothing. Suddenly, are you a coffee maker? Do you serve coffee? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I practice law, I promise. (laughs) And um, until George Clooney married one, of course, nobody knew what a barrister really was um, in the UK. So I had to figure out how to become a lawyer again in this country. And I took the New York bar, uh, but I live in Washington state. And you need to have a state bar license to practice state law, which most areas are. And so I had to figure out what to do, and immigration kept following me. Immigration is a federal area of law, which means you can practice that area of law anywhere in the country because the law is the same. And third time round, I thought, you know, I'll just do this for a while and then wave in, and then I'll practice litigation or something else. But the day I succumbed to immigration, I realized it was my calling. Everything that I really wanted to do with my life, help people practice a, a, an intelligent, uh, fast-moving, complicated area of law, immigration is all of that. And the misconception I had about immigration, that it was just about asylum law every day, uh, was dispelled because immigration can be anything you want it to be. If you want to practice asylum law every day, you can do that. You could be in uh, immigration court every day if you, if that's what you want to do. But you could also do what I do, which is business immigration. And that's helping businesses uh, retain, recruit talent and making sure that they have the appropriate visas or helping people start their businesses and getting visas accordingly. But I also do the feel-good area of law, which is uh, reuniting loved ones, parents, children, um 
spouses, but also get them citizenship. And in fact, just this week, uh, one of my clients got citizenship. And uh, it was just so wonderful to be part of that journey. And when you go to these citizenship ceremonies, you really do get rejuvenated with passion because you're seeing the difference in somebody's life and, and the security that they're going to get and all the things that they can do with their lives. So I absolutely love what I do and I see the impact I make on a very daily basis. Oh, wow. I bet that is such a special ceremony to be a part of. Until I had my own, I actually didn't realize how emotional that ceremony is. Uh, In 2010, I got my own citizenship, or 2011. And up until that moment, I was, you know, helping people with their own applications. But eventually, when it was mine, and I went to the ceremony, I had this aha moment of what my clients actually go through emotionally on that day because I was one of them that day. And so now when my clients invite me to go with them to these ceremonies, I it's a, like a wedding. I'll never say no, because it's so special. What does it feel like to be part of that? You know, I, I actually have an article I wrote about it. It's um, in the Seattle Times. So if somebody Googles my name, Tamina Watson, Seattle Times, it would come up. But I called it like a rebirth for me. And the reason was that, you know, we all grow up with dreams and hopes um, and desires. And for me, I had many of them. You know, I wanted to have a career as a lawyer. I wanted to have a great partner in life. I wanted to have a nice home. I wanted to have um, a, a, a purpose that really served people. And by the time I got to my ceremony, not that I ever thought America was my dream. But America made my dreams come true. And that's what I write about. You know, I I walked out of that room feeling so passionate about America and all the things I do and every single client that I've helped and was looking forward to helping more. And what also came out of that is, you know, all the dreams I had came true here. And so when a client of mine says to me, oh, my gosh, Tamina, that's my dream, whatever that might be, I suddenly have to really make sure I leave no stone unturned to make sure their dreams come true. Wow, that's really beautiful. So when you talk about, you know, the things that led you to immigration law, I'm curious, was there a specific scenario or situation that drew you to it, that made you say, this is my calling? No, it's only when I succumbed to the only option that felt viable at the time for a job (laughs) that I realized the universe was throwing it at me. And it's only when I accepted it that I I knew this is what I needed to do. The universe works like that, doesn't it? (laughs) It really does. You know, all I really wanted to do was be a lawyer. That's what I really wanted to do. But You know, immigration was the universe's way of saying, this is what you're going to do with your life. So what do you uniquely contribute to this work? Um, Let's see. So every day is a unique contribution to somebody's life, for sure. Um, And especially under COVID, you know, um, COVID comes on the heels of what happened over the last four years. 
where immigration was a key issue for the previous administration, in which not only was there a physical wall um, at the border, but there was an invisible wall too. And that invisible wall was creating obstacles that we'd never seen before. But even though we now have a new administration, COVID has exacerbated the problems that had started and continued and got really bad under the previous administration. So what what I see every day is, is clients that are um, anxious, scared, um, you know, worried about their loved ones in different parts of the world where they can't go at the moment for a number of different reasons, uh, family members that cannot come to the U.S. because of various travel bans. And so every day when I speak to a client of mine, I know I'm helping them in some way or another, even if it's just to emotionally calm them. But like I said earlier, I went to um, a citizenship ceremony this this week, and that was that was very heartfelt and profound. But in terms of uh, on a broader level, you know, I've written a couple of books. Uh, one is called The Startup Visa, advocating for a visa category for entrepreneurs who want to come to the United States and have their innovations here. Um, and the other book is called Legal Heroes in the Trump Era. And that is a compilation of stories, including mine, but 13 other lawyers who really went out of their way to help protect the rule of law uh, during a, an unprecedented time in this country. So those books uh, will always be there, you know, make me immortal, I hope. Um, but, you know, advocating for clients every day in whatever cap capacity is something that I believe every lawyer should do and most of my colleagues do uh, advocate for them. And so immigration is one of those areas where we're fighting the government as opposed to each other you know, in, 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 rather than litigation where you've got opposing counsel. So we can really collaborate and come together on the issues that we care about. That's interesting. And, and as you're talking about, you know, immigration is deeply, it's a deeply politicized issue. And the policies, the landscape, it changes from administration to administration. And, um, you know, I'm curious what is there anything that remains constant throughout time about this area of immigration? That's a really good question. You know, what is constant is the law has not changed for 30 years or uh, more. Uh, you know, the laws that we practice, are the foundation was in 1952, and then there were some changes in 1965 and then 1990, the, bit, the, the major ones. So the constant is the law is the same. What changes is the interpretation of regulation. How are you interpreting the back, black and white letter of the law? And with different administrations, there have been different interpretations, but the last administration obviously took it very far. Um, but one of the things that I am taking upon myself to do is to make people realize no matter which side of the aisle you are on, immigration should be a tool for America. It should be a tool for growth and economic prosperity. It should be revenue growth. It should be jobs. Immigration should be a strategic issue for the country. 
And that's not how it is perceived because it's such a a divisive um, topic that you're either on that side of the aisle or this side of the aisle. And depending on which side you're on, it's immigration is good or bad. Um, But if we could come to the middle and say it's an economic issue, you know, um, I think there could be some fruitful dialogues. And the issue that I uh, I write about, the startup visa, and in fact, my book is coming out. I have a second edition coming out on July 13th. Um, it really is a bipartisan issue because, you know, what COVID has shown us, we had, what, about 50 million people out of work last year. We need jobs, you know, and jobs are, you know, yes, the economy is recovering slowly, but the stimulus bill it's not the be-all and end-all. We still need more. We need creative solutions. And immigration can be one of those solutions. That's so insightful. And, um, you know, it reminds me, a couple months ago, George W. Bush was doing his tour for his book. And, and he, you know, made some statements about immigration and reform and his desire that Congress would put a more respectful tone around it. And I believe that's because this is, it's a human issue. There are people behind it. You know, we talk about these topics that are political in nature as though they're just subject matters, but it's, they're, they're people behind it. Absolutely. And I'm so glad he did speak up about that. I, I intend to get the book, um, his paintings. Um, but it's true. I think the key word you used is this human issue. And when you're thinking about the people at the border, which, of course, depending on which side of the fence you're on, it could be good or bad. But the it's a human issue. These people are fleeing for their lives. And it's not just the border, you know, the refugee issue. Uh, and at the moment, uh, the topical issue is about the Afghanistani uh, folks who helped Americans during their time there. It is hu- a human issue. And people from all over the world are having unprecedented issues to deal with. And sometimes they're doing it to help America. Sometimes it's just the universe is making it challenging for them, like climate change. And we as a country uh, have a responsibility. And, you know, I mean, I think with the demonstration of the 500 million vaccine doses that were donated uh, or pledged yesterday, I mean, that gives me hope that we are going to regain the leadership uh, seat, if you like, in the world. But it can't be just that. It has to be so much more. And, uh, you know, refugees is one of those issues, too. So it's very much a human issue. Tamina, what has been the most meaningful case of which you've been a part? Oh, goodness. It's going to be asking which baby do I love the most. Um, (laughs) uh, Let me see. In my early days, uh, I had when one of my very last court cases was actually one of the most rewarding uh, cases because it was very, very challenging. The worst thing you can do in immigration is to claim to be a U.S. citizen when you're not. Because it doesn't matter what you say, there's no real forgiveness to that. The one is that you quickly realized and you retracted uh, that claim. And I had a client in which the client was accused of claiming to be a U.S. citizen. And I learned so much about America and the, you know, the the other, you know, countries and the, what do you call, what's the, what's the Puerto Rico, what's Puerto Rico and Guam, they're the 
territories. And so I learned about all of those. And this particular client had actually tried to become a U.S. national. He was applying for a passport. And I don't know if you've seen the differences in the passport, Stephanie. They look like the U.S. national's passport actually looks like a U.S. passport, but either the front or the back annotate saying this person is a U.S. national, not a citizen. And so hmm. this person was applying for that and was essentially accused of trying to be a U.S. Um, citizen. But I had to go through everything with a fine tooth comb, learn about, you know, the passports and the territories. And he was really trying to do that. Uh, and we won the case. It took years and years and years to get through it. But he had a U.S. citizen spouse, two li little children, like babies. They were just born. Um, and I, I just felt so compelled to make sure I got to the to bottom of that case to make sure I kept this family together. And I remember writing to all my immigration colleagues in different listservs. And one particular person said to me, no, keep fighting, keep fighting until you get them, keep them together. And, you know, I eventually when I won the case, I went back to her and I said, thank you so much for the encouragement. But that will always stay with me because it was one of my uh, most rewarding cases because of the challenging nature it had. And it was an immigration court. It was my last case. And I remember I was pregnant too, you know, and I was pregnant and the judge was like, you know, Miss Watson, you know, we'd have a chat and, you know, when is the baby due? And the next time I go, because these cases take a long time, I was pregnant again when when I went for the next hearing and he, he said to me, Miss Watson, you appear to be pregnant. <laughs> and I said, I assure you it's not the same pregnancy <laughs> because it took so long, but I look the same. Um, <laughs> but that, that goes to show how long these cases can take and how much anxiety families have to go through. Every time you go to a court hearing, uh, you take your, you know, heart in your hands sort of thinking I hope I'm going to be okay I hope my children can you know keep have me with them and that emotion that you feel with your client right there next to you um, is very compelling and so what that what your listeners should take away from that is that emotion that these people are facing uh, and that I just ex explained that's happening every day every day you know, in the immigration courts around the country, but also at the border that you hear on the news. These are human beings who are really trying to just stay alive or be together with their loved ones. And I, I hope that we get better policies taking those things into account. Let's take a quick break. Okay, Tamina, tell us more about, you said you're seeing the impact of your work. And so I'd love to hear more about the impact you are making. It was uh, the recession, the Great Recession. That's when I started my law firm. And at the time, a lot of people that I was helping, I was helping, um, they were laid off from their jobs. And if you are an, an immigrant on a work visa, who has been laid off from your employment, you are immediately unlawfully in the US. You do not have status. But what I heard from each of those people um, was that they wanted to have their own businesses, 
and they wanted to have a visa for that. And the visa categories that we have are not suited for everybody, depending on which country they're from or which you know country they were born in, uh, which country they're a citizen of, which can be two different places, um, or their education, um, their background. But what was apparent is that we needed a visa for these entrepreneurs, the would-be entrepreneurs, wannabe entrepreneurs, or entrepreneurs who are already working on their businesses. And so I started my advocacy then. I wrote about it incessantly. I was, at the time, one of the handful of people writing about it. Now there are a lot of people advocating for it. Um, But that led to writing my first book in 2015. And after that book was published, I was actually invited to be part of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign uh, immigration working committee. And that was a moment of pride for me because I I knew that there was a plan for immigration reform. Um, but when when that didn't happen, uh, uh, backtrack a little bit, President Obama actually did create a program for entrepreneurs and uh, that program was set to go into effect in June uh, 2017. But then when the previous administration came in, they actually put that aside almost to um, rescind it, but they didn't quite do that. And then um, the advocacy continued and continued and continued. And I was just one of the voices. But in, in May 2021, it was revived. And I I do believe that every voice matters in these types of broader challenges. And so I'd say that was a concrete example of advocacy working. You know, it took a long time uh, and a lot of people's uh, collaboration. So that's that's one of the examples I can give you. The other one I will give you is for for separated parents. Uh, You know, when that was happening in 2018, uh, we had about 200 of these people from the border come to the, come to Washington state and many of them were separated parents they didn't know where their children were and at the time i was helping volunteer lawyers get to where they needed to be whether it was a legal clinic or um you know a, a different settings where immigration lawyers were ne- necessary and it was important that we found ways to help people with representation, uh, even though there wasn't a lot of capacity. So at that time, in June 2018, I started a nonprofit called Washington Immigrant Defense Network. I have um, four co-founders who uh, worked tirelessly to make sure that this nonprofit was off the ground. And we essentially train non-immigration lawyers in immigration law, and then group them with immigration lawyers to team up with so that there is a team that can help uh, people in detention. And so that, I would say, is a successful model. We haven't had a lot of cases during COVID because courts have been closed. But what that did was it set a new example of how you can bring help to the community where it's bringing together different um, types of lawyers to ease the burden. And following from that, uh, the and we paid the immigration lawyer a stipend, uh, sort of like you would do a public defender. Um, but we took that model and we... Um, amended it, so to speak, to help in legal clinic settings. When I was creating the nonprofit, uh, what I learned 
is that a lot of clinics could not get pro bono lawyers anymore. And I knew why they couldn't get them because I was the one saying, hey, immigration lawyers, we need two here for their eight, you know, tomorrow who can help. And over time, that response was dwindling. And that's because there was just too much demand and not enough supply. And so the legal clinics were suffering as a result. And so we took the stipend model and implemented it in two different ways. And I was just, you know, one of the people helping in this scenario. But it's established a new way of providing help. And what I've realized is the problems that we're facing today, you know, for and during the last four years and problems that are coming up, they're all unprecedented. And so you've got to always think outside the box to see how can you meet the needs of everybody. One of the things that I feel very strongly about is you cannot simply keep asking immigration lawyers to donate time. You know, they they also have their bills to pay, children's daycare to, to pay for, mortgages to pay. And that that time where you could ask for pro bono help over and over again, that's gone. You know, it, there, it used to be a time where the do- demand was not so high that people could donate their time, but it's just it's just too uh, burdensome. And so these new models, I hope, could be expanded upon, um, you know, not just in immigration, in other areas too. And I have two amazing friends taking the stipend idea into other areas of law. So as they as they progress, I'll make sure you know about them. That's great. It's so innovative and putting systems in place to not just look at Band-Aids, but also look at how we can really transform um, processes for those good causes. What motivates you? What gives you the courage to lead in the way that you do? You know, I ask that question to myself sometimes because it takes a lot of time and energy to do this. And I have a lot of it, thank goodness. But I think to myself, you know, what's the end goal? And what I come back to all the time is that I want to be part of the change because I can and I will and I want to. And that drives me because if I can make an impact on one person's life, I've made something happen with my life. And it drives me every single day, every single day. Um, You know, I wake up around five o'clock in the morning. Uh, That's my new 2021 um, activity where I essentially have a morning routine. But part of that routine is to also write. And I've got a biweekly column as of a few months ago with a national magazine called Above the Law. And as of yesterday, I'm a new um, columnist with Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, they took uh, they they carefully vet people before they accept them as uh, columnists. So, uh, but what drives me is that I'm seeing on the ground what people cannot see every day, and how it impacts uh, human lives, and what solutions we can bring. And so I would love for your listeners to check out the column and above the law where I'm talking about topical issues such as the country bans that are going on. You know, if you talk to anybody in business, they'll tell you they can't travel out or if they can, they can't bring other people in even for business visits. What are the solutions to that? So I'm always thinking about 
um, my my clients, what's going to help them, and how lawmakers and policymakers can learn from what's happening on the ground to actually bring that change that's, that is necessary. But what drives me is, I, if not me, then who? You know, that's a question we should all ask ourselves. Um, but I ask, I literally ask myself every day, and I try to take action on it every day. Let's shift a little bit. Um, I'm curious, you know, you you just listed so many things you're involved with. You have a legal firm, you do advocacy, you're a columnist and an author and a podcaster. So how do you balance it all? Um, do you have any advice out there for working moms? You know, it took a long time to accept that I really want to do everything and there's no compromise to it. I really do want to do everything. But as any mother will tell you, there aren't enough hours in the day. And so something has to give. So my dishes are not always done. <laughs> you know, the laundry isn't always done. Um, but that's okay. You know, my kids are little and they're, they're big enough to be able to help themselves a little. But I think the biggest takeaway I would want people to have is you've got to invest in yourself. And I have to tell you that I didn't really do that until 2020 when COVID allowed me to do that um, because we were all at home and I was able to take a lot of meditation lessons and self-care lessons. But I have incorporated meditation into my daily practice. So part of my daily routine in the morning is to meditate. I have recently incorporated journaling a little bit. I'm still getting used to that one. But I, what I have found is meditation is a practice. And the first time somebody said to me, oh, I went to a meditation retreat and suddenly I have more hours in the day. I'm like, I want some of that. How do you get more hours in the day? <laughs> what happens is you're able to um, be calmer and less reactionary. And that doesn't come in one day. So if anybody's listening, don't just meditate one day and say, ah, it doesn't work. It's a practice. And for me, that practice took about six months to incorporate every day. And I would say that at least in from 2020 to today, I think I've meditated every day in the morning, even if it's for five minutes. But I took transcendental meditation classes when I eventually realized I needed to have something because there are lots of apps and I was using those apps. And my favorite one is Insight Timer. Uh, but I couldn't tell if I was doing it right. Not that there's a right or wrong, but you sort of question yourself. And that's when I took the transcendental meditation classes. And I now swear by it. And anybody who has a problem anywhere about anything in their life, <laughs> I now go and say, will you just go meditate, please? <laughs> because I find that the mind-body connection is really important. Until you've seen the change, you don't actually appreciate what it can do for you. But you've got to be patient in creating that practice for yourself. And it's not just about you. If you are centered, if you are calmer, everything around you will feel that way too. You, everything reflects upon you. And so when my children were fighting with each other, and not that they don't do it still, but the manner in which they were, you know, arguing, it's almost like they were, a, I could see a mirror of myself. And I realized, you know, I'm yelling so much and, you know, I'm arguing so much and that's what they're seeing. And so you've got to be 
the change you want to see. It comes back to that. Um, in fact, I didn't really put that together. But if you want a better world around you, you've got to better yourself. And that's one of my priorities. It's almost like putting the oxygen mask on yourself before you can actually go out and put oxygen uh, on, you know, to somebody else. Oh, that's just so beautifully, beautifully spoken, um, which leads us to what is a quote that you love? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, I write about that in my book called Legal Heroes. It's the change you want to see. Be the change you want to see. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I have two quotes, actually. The one before that, and it still resonates, is everything happens for a reason. Um, because, you know, sometimes bad things will happen. That's the way the world is. And if you just hold on to that and don't take action uh, and just, you know, you know, stay in pity about yourself, you're not going to progress. But if you just accept whatever has happened and you keep moving on, um, you will see wh why that happened. The universe has its its own message for yourself. And so that used to be my quote, and it still is, but be the change you want to see really drives me on a very daily basis. Well, thank you so much for joining. Um, I, you know, I, I see so much in you, this just clever brain that you just figure out systems and you find a need and you dig into it and you help transform the lives around you in your work. And I'm appreciative of the opportunity you've given us to to learn more from you. And I'm excited to see some of the things that come from all of the work you're doing in both immigration law and advocacy, but also through meditation and some of the programs that you're developing. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about it. I think this is the first time I've talked about my meditation practice. Wow, Tamina is packed with energy to take on the work of supporting others, creating new programs and platforms, and advocating for reform, all while raising a family, writing, and taking in the sights and sounds of the birds outside. Her newest book, the second edition of The Startup Visa, is available July 13, 2021. You can find those details, plus her podcast and other work, on her website, watsonimmigrationlaw.com. Well, folks, that wraps up episode 10 of the Good Around Us podcast. Next week, I will share some reflections on the people we have met in season one and ideas for what's to come in season two. If you have enjoyed listening to these conversations, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are tuning in and share it with a friend. You can tag us on Instagram at good.aroundus. Thanks for listening to the Good Around Us podcast. Until next time.